We are The Purposeful Project. We help entrepreneurs for free. Welcome to today's pep talk, where we'll take just 20 minutes to interview leading experts from around the world who share actionable know-how, insights and life lessons. To hear these incredible insights, follow us on Spotify, Apple Music or anywhere you listen to podcasts, or you can simply visit thepurposefulproject.com, sign up to our mailing list and get the podcast in your inbox every single week. Welcome, Michael, to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Perhaps um, we could start off by you kindly telling the audience a little bit about yourself. Brilliant. Thank you for having me, Simon. Uh, very excited uh, to be here and honor to be uh, on your podcast. I enjoyed uh, quite a few of your episodes, so uh, very honored uh, to be able uh, to uh, contribute. Um, I'm Michael Cranel from the Netherlands, living in London. I've been living here now for about 10 years, uh, married to Gemma, and we've got a little uh, fox red Labrador called Margot. I'm the co-founder of Inner Circle. It's a high quality dating app that helps singles meet in real life. And um, yeah, we founded it back in uh, 2012. We went live, uh, we launched in 2012, in uh, November 2012 in Amsterdam. And uh, since there, expanded step by step across the world. That's very exciting. I think, um, well, I mean, it feels like the world is saturated with dating apps. So what is it you think that makes yours unique? Um, uh, so dating, I think, is a very uh, personal experience. And whereas a lot of the apps focus on uh, on mass, so they focus on the endless swiping, on who makes the first move and stuff. Whereas uh, we think the essence of dating is a date. You know, in the end, people just want to go on a good date. They want to have a good night out. They want to come home with those butterflies and that great feeling. And uh, this is what we've always focused on doing really well. So we focus on giving people really good dates. And so how do you measure success? I mean, you've been going since 2012. What's, what's the yardstick to say, hey, this is working? Um, well, of course, the easiest one is uh, all the success stories. I'm currently not in the office, but in the office, we've got a big uh, wall full of uh, baby cards and wedding cards. Uh, I remember really well the first time that we received a baby card, which was actually not too long after we launched in uh, the Netherlands. And I had goosebumps and I like could jump on the table. It was such a cool eye-opening experience of the impact that uh, we were actually having. But in terms of more direct impact, uh, the way we measure success is uh, get-togethers. And at this moment, every seven seconds, a member gets together. So probably during this interview, there will be quite a lot of dates. And uh, I think that's always a quite mind-blowing thing to realize that, you know, all the time there's people going on dates, having a good time, hopefully falling in love. Actually, I've never um, had in my mind the concept of a dating app having the output of creating a human and that human going on to make the world a better place. That's pretty, actually pretty powerful, isn't it? When you think about the domino effect you can have if you match people properly. Um, that's, that's, that's pretty exciting. So what do you think were the critical success factors in your business? Um, well, I think, you know, every successful business sounds, uh, st starts with a team and, uh, we started with, uh, three founders. So we've got David, the CEO, Serge, the CTO and myself, and we are all very different, uh, characters, very different personalities and a very different skill set. And I believe because we are such different people, we were, uh, we are a very complementary founding team. And this is probably also what enabled us to uh, grow for the first uh, or, or without any funding because we were able to uh, complement each other so strongly. 
And how did you meet each other? How, because a lot of people, I guess, listening might want to start a business and think, oh, great, oh, I'd love to have two co-founders. How did that all come together for you? Um, so I met David at a dinner party. Um, he came um, he, he came out of a long-term relationship and we were asking, how are you doing? And he was saying, yeah, I'm actually doing uh, pretty all right, but, um, uh, but I've started to look around on online dating websites. And we were like, what online dating websites and this was back in 2011 there was no tinder online dating was like uh, a bit of a socially awkward thing and we were saying like oh you don't need a dating app right and he was like no i really believe this is the future i believe in a couple of years time everybody will be dating but it has to be more trustworthy um online dating was full of scammers back then it was uh, full of anonymous profiles you would be going on a date with say twinkle star 29 and um he believed that if we can make that transition to a more transparent and trustworthy dating environment, that online dating would be the future. And right, he was. And at that time, he was already working with Serge on a other project of his. Uh, so that is uh, how the three of us came together. And was it an easy partnership? I mean, did you have a proper legal agreement? How did you make sure that, you know, this partnership worked? Well, of course, you you put uh, an agreement on the paper. Uh, what I think is uh, very important in uh, any um, uh, collaboration is that you've got a clear agreement and a clear understanding. And as it was David's idea, he, uh, he invested some of his own uh, money into uh, developing the idea. So uh, he's the boss and um, you know he has the final word. And I think it's very important in a relationship that there are some kind of hierarchy and that everybody um, then uh, knows their place and is there uh, for the right reasons and to uh, together build something amazing. Did you all have very different job roles? Is that another hack that's been my personal experience? I'm just wondering if it's yeah. the same for you. Yeah, totally. Right. So again, for our listeners listening, you know, I think making sure you might end up hanging out with people that, do the similar things to you, for example, other marketing folks. But in reality, when building a business, you kind of need to hang out with people that are different to you, maybe with the same moral code, yeah. same core value, um, but, but different yeah. skills. Yeah. yeah, that was uh, one of the mistakes, I would say, in uh, companies I started before Inner Circle is um, I always started with uh, good friends who were very similar to me. Uh, we were lacking on so many fronts, skills and perspectives uh, that uh, those businesses never really took off. Whereas uh, I think it was one of the key things for Inner Circle that we were uh, so different and complementary. Very important lesson there. So what do you think you got wrong? If you look at, it's easy for us to talk about all the success you've had. Clearly your app's doing so well and helped so many people. But what, if you look back, what do you think you did wrong? What are the learnings from the mistakes? We were, of course, a very complementary uh, founding team, um, but that also and that also gave us the opportunity to basically do everything ourselves. And for the first couple of years, we basically kept doing everything ourselves. Uh, we uh, barely recruited anyone, and it's only like after five years in that we um, really started building a team. And uh, this was. Uh, I would say something we uh, I would do differently now. I would more early on uh, hire um, really strong people who can independently take on uh, parts that we uncovered that would be crucial to our growth and let them own it so that we can step back and focus on our uh, next steps for, uh, for our growth strategy. So I think it's a really interesting point you're making. I guess you're talking about um, delegating and, and, and trusting people, which a lot of people find hard when they're building a business, right? 
Yeah, del delegating and trusting people, but also hiring them first. I mean, first you need to hire them before we can delegate to them. So we basically just kept doing everything ourselves instead of hiring people who we could uh, empower to uh, build on what we uh, on the foundations that we laid. And so I interrupted you. What what other, what other learning did you have from from the mis failures? I guess the mistakes. Um, so um, well, for the first one was the one I just mentioned, the uh, hiring. But another uh, important learning uh, for us has been uh, building a brand instead of being branded. And what I'm trying to say with that is um, we always really listen to our users. So we unconsciously always focused on what mattered most to the user, but we never really translated the essence of what the user really wants into a brand and controlled that brand narrative to build a consistent brand. And it's only quite a few la years later that we uh, started thinking about what is the message that we really want to carry out? What do we stand for as a company? And um, I believe we um, yeah, would have uh, grown a lot faster in the first five years if we uh, had um, built and controlled our brand narrative instead of being branded by the users, how they interpret uh, what we stand for as a company, how the media interpret what we stand for as a company. I think, again, this is such an interesting point. I wonder how that translates for people to understand. Like, so you, you basically wrote down your values. You wrote down, you know, your kind of your mission statement. These things weren't done in the beginning. You feel like you, 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 the users decided what you were. Was that, was that what you mean? Um, so we focused um, at the start basically on uh, what we thought mattered to the user. And, of course, on marketing that... Um, that goes with that to help us grow, but we never developed that really concise message of uh, that really concisely conveyed what we were about. So, uh, if you look, if you read uh, ten different interviews uh, about the inner circle from eight years ago, you will get ten different messages about what we stood for. Whereas nowadays, um, our messaging is a lot more concise because we really understand uh, what the user wants and kept captured that in uh, a very uh, strong uh, strong messaging this is a really nuanced point that i think a lot of people don't grasp and it's really interesting i could probably do a whole podcast episode just on the subject you're talking about here because i think a lot of people when they launch a business they just want to sell the features of the business or what they think the clients want and what you're saying which i think is so valuable is that you've also got to make sure your brand is clear what you're actually about why you're there and, and define that almost, I mean, I always think about the Nike analogy, you know, when Nike um, supports a certain cause, they believe in a certain thing. They're not really selling you the features of the shoe, right? They're not really telling you about, they'll, they'll, the shoe will sell itself kind of, you know, the, the display material will sell what the shoe does, but they, the, the brand is about the story of the company and how it supports athletes, right? That, that's actually much more important than selling the feature of the shoe. That, that's what you're saying, right? Exactly, exactly. It's it's totally about that. So where, say, a lot of dating apps focus on the functionality, say, the swiping or who makes the first move. Um, yeah, I think it's a lot more powerful uh, to sell the emotion that uh, that the, the person is looking for, the, uh, the dream that the person has, the uh, dream that they hope, what they hope to get from the dating app. Mm. 
I've made a note of this myself just to remind myself of my own business. It's so true, and I know it from my own build of many businesses, but you can easily forget this when you are busy trying to push what the business does. Um, so it's a really, really good point. Now, we're actually not here to talk about branding today, but it's a really interesting subject. But I really wanted to ask you a little bit about funding and, and how the funding game works in your view. Now, am I right in saying you didn't raise money for this business in the early days? Yeah, um, actually, uh, till today, we have never raised any funding. Uh, it's, of course, something we always reviewed over the years. Uh, but when we launched, uh, we thought, uh, you know, what, what's the point in uh, setting up a business if people are not prepared to uh, pay for the value we create? And we were lucky to go viral uh, when we launched in Amsterdam. And immediately we said, OK, let's see if we can provide some upsells in the product and see if people are prepared to pay. And that actually provided us enough cash flow to then um built the business on step by step i mean it took a lot of uh patience and i worked from my bedroom for the first three years so no fancy offices and stuff so it, it takes some per perseverance and it's definitely not the easy route but it's a very uh satisfying route uh to go down i mean there is an argument as well you know you've got three founders so a presumably structures split between the three of you as soon as you start taking investors the equity really starts to drop as well right i mean if you'd taken money in 2012 then the cycle would be series a series b you could be less with like six percent by the end yeah, of the cycle yeah. if you had a successful business so there is a real argument not to raise money but um, but i hear you, you know um and working from your bedroom i've done it myself i slept in my office for eight months so um i can relate to your point but a lot of people don't want to have that pain and, and guess they think raising money is better so what do you think in this day and age? I mean, it's very unusual to have a company like yours. I guess you are a tech business of sorts, having not raised money. Um, was, was one of your co-founders tech? Did that, is, is that how you managed to keep the costs uh, yeah. under control? Yeah. Yeah. Our CTO uh, is a phenomenal developer, uh, incredibly efficient, beautifully beautiful code that he writes. Uh, which yeah, has been crucial. I mean, he's, he's built uh, the Mount Everest by himself in the first couple of years. Beautiful code. I love that uh, imagery. Beautiful code. You don't really think of code as beautiful, but I get the point. If you want to create a beautiful product, you've probably got to create a beautiful code. But um, so, so when you're so in the marketing side, for example, that'd be another area that people would say, well, you need money. You know, it's all about buying growth, right? It's that's been the trend for the last 10 years while well, you've been operating in a kind of like you said, a patient way. But but haven't you had that thing sometimes like we're not going fast enough? Um, yeah, there, there's, of course, two interesting sides to this, uh, one the practical side and one the emotional side. I mean, uh, all the time you, you read everywhere about these crazy valuations and huge rounds that all the companies are, uh, are picking up and the headlines they get for that and the glamour that comes with it. And uh, that's, of course, always very uh, tempting. But then at the same time, we always thought, you know, what are our ambitions? What are our goals and what do we need to achieve those ambitions? So we always uh, put our goals and ambitions first before making a decision whether to raise or not to raise. And of course, that's always a continuous dialogue. It's not black and white. We're never going to raise or you have to always raise. Um, you know, we constantly review what are our ambitions, what are our plans and uh, what do we need uh, for our next uh, steps of growth. Um, and then on the practical side, um, we focused a lot on uh, virality of our product and this really kick-started our growth and um, yeah, ma uh, set, set the first, um, uh, provide the first cash flow. Um, but what we then too late discovered was the power of performance marketing. I mean, performance marketing is a genius way of 
um, growing a business with a very direct return on investment. So I believe that um, doing clever, um, even small amounts of performance marketing can really help get the business off the ground quickly uh, for relatively low investment and quick return on investment. What is performance marketing? Uh, performance marketing, uh, we see as all the uh, paid advertising channels, whether it's uh, Facebook or Google, uh, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok. We basically um, invest in ads there. And then we, of course, measure each, each ad campaign uh, to make sure that uh, all the campaigns are running a healthy return on investment. So you do a, a kind of flywheel model, do you? You say, right, we'll put, I don't know, $5 into an ad per person and then that converts into a client, right? Exactly. And, uh, and we measure always on, uh, in, in the end, the return on investment of that campaign. So say maybe you put five euros in and you get... 10 euros out to put it in a very simplistic way because i thought i thought you were going to say considering you haven't raised money that earn marketing was going to be the way to do it because you know maybe you you do a lot of talks and you go on other people's podcasts or you know you get you get noise about what you're doing through earned marketing i i kind of had that in my mind if you don't raise money and you want to be effective that's the way to do it but performance marketing to me sounds not only very interesting but also costly there is a there is a direct cost attached right there can, can be big money involved um, there can be big money involved, especially when you hire an expensive agency to do it for you. Uh, I think it will be very hard to get a good return on investment when you're a startup or scale up working with uh, very big agencies, creating beautiful campaigns with beautiful layers and stuff. Um, but for us, we just were very pragmatic about it. We, I think, started with uh, putting um, 100 euros behind some ads and made sure that we had uh, the data tracked throughout the funnel so we could really learn uh, what the uh, return investment was from different ads and different targeting, different audiences and build step by step on that. And that basically proved to be very scalable because the, uh, for us, the, um, the, the cycle from investment to return investment is very short. Now, I, I've been um, um, happily married for uh, 20 years, so I've missed the whole dating app scene from beginning to end. Um, and I did download a dating app once and my wife said, what are you doing? I said, research. So, you know, I could get into a lot of trouble if I download these things even for research. But, but I wanted to understand, you know, do people, how do the economics work? Um, well, the great thing of a dating app, uh, which uh, people love to address always, of, is, of course, by say, saying, how can this be a, a viable business? Because the better you do your work, um, the less people uh, will be single. Uh, and that's, of course, true. The better we do our work, um, the earlier they stop using our service and they're happily married ever after. But then the good thing of uh, creating success stories is, say, there's a wedding and then at the wedding, of course, all the all the best men and all the in all the speeches, the dating app is mentioned and how they meet and stuff. So if there's any singles at the wedding, then uh, after that wedding, all the single people at that wedding will be downloading dating apps. So there's a great uh, viral uh, force behind success stories. And then in terms of the basic economics um, in dating apps, you can go down two routes. You can do advertising and subscriptions. And uh, as Inner Circle, we uh, believe in a high quality experience for our users and we believe that advertising doesn't fit into that. So we only focus on uh, subscriptions and providing uh, value uh, to the users through subs subscriptions. Got it. Well, look, um, we only have you sure 
for a short time. So um, I want, I, I hope we can have you back on the show. I'd love to talk a little bit more detail about performance marketing and, and branding and, and raising funds. But just to kind of um, end today's uh, podcast, I wonder if you could tell us what you think the most important personal characteristics are that led you to success. Do you, you know, any listeners out there, what do they need to look for? What do you think, what do you think pushed you to be where you are today? Um, so, yeah, well, well, good question. Uh, what uh, were the important characteristics? I think adaptability. Um, it's so hard to predict uh, how a company uh, develops and what the road to success is. You just don't know. So you need to constantly adapt to the situation, uh, learn really fast about a very wide variety of uh, topics to a very high standard. Um, and of course, uh, be patient. Hold your nerve. Um, Rome is not built in one night. And I think a lot of people uh, believe that they can set up a company in a week or a month. And I think there's very few um, real success stories that were created over overnight. Um, you know, it takes patience. Every step is uh, one little step forward. And all those steps compounding over the years is what creates the really big, uh, big, beautiful uh, creation of a company. Um, and, uh, finally, I think what's really important, uh, and that, co that, co that comes very, uh, yeah, natural to me is listening to the user. I love speaking with users. I love listening with users and, uh, learning, uh, what they find important, what matters to the user most. And I think there always has to be someone in the team who, um, who keeps, uh, in, in very close touch with the, with the users or the customers. I want to thank you, Michael, for taking the time out. I love the kind of listening, adaptation, being focused on building, I guess, uh, um, the brand values and all these insights you've shared with us today. I really appreciate. I know my audience will too. And uh, yeah, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you very much, Simon. It was, uh, it was great to be here. Thank you for listening to Pep Talk today, powered by The Purposeful Project. If you found it interesting, please give us a review and follow us. In addition, you can sign up to our website and get loads more free entrepreneur knowledge, as well as get access to Pep Talk and the Purposeful Project podcast direct in your inbox every week.